So good to see you today. We're going to go back to our series that we had started uh, called Signs, looking at the signs that are in the Gospel of John, because in John's Gospel, they're not called miracles. They're called signs because they point to something else. And so this morning, I would like to read the story that's found in John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there who had been disabled for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, you are well again, so stop sinning and something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. The Word of God for the people of God. God. There are a couple of things in this story that I find troubling. The first one is the story about the angel troubling the water and whoever gets in first uh, is healed. Uh, the other part is the reaction of this man after Jesus heals him, how he kind of turns on Jesus at, at the end. Now, depending on your translation, uh, in, in your Bible, the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 is most likely omitted. And down at the bottom of the Bible, there's a footnote that says these verses have been taken out because they're not in the best manuscripts. And so those verses probably should not be there in the story. Except that verse 4, which is omitted in my translation, explains why they were all around the pool. And this is what verse 4 said. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And the first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, uh, that's the verse that's omitted. So, I don't believe the Bible says that that's what happened, but the Bible says that that's what they believed happened. That, this was kind of their superstition about this pool, is that if you, you lay there by the pool, and if you were the first one, that, that an angel would come down, and if you saw the water ripple, that was a sign that an angel had come down and touched the water, and if you were the first one in the water then you would be healed of whatever it was that, that you had. So there's all these people who are waiting around the pool, just lying all around the pool, watching the water, waiting for it to move 
so they could be the first one in and be healed. This man that Jesus heals, first of all, uh, he's a victim. Now, I know in our culture today that, you know, lots of people like to claim to be victims, but he really was a victim. He was a victim of faith in magic waters. Um, this faith in magic waters is, is a cruel faith because it's only for the few. Only the first person in the water got healed. If you were the second one in, you didn't get healed. Nothing happened for you. And so folks are waiting, you know, to make sure they can be the first one into this pool of water so they can be healed and everyone else just got left out. Could you imagine if Jesus, when he was wandering out in the villages and stuff and all these people came up to him, you remember when all these crowds of people came up, Jesus would spend all day healing them? Could you imagine if this crowd of people came up and Jesus said, okay, we're gonna have a lottery here and we're gonna choose one lucky person to get healed and everybody else is gonna have to go home. That's not how Jesus worked. But these magic waters, they were only for the few, whoever could get in first. And they were also only for the sufficient because those with the greatest needs were never gonna be the ones who got in the water first. And I want you to, to imagine the scene. There are these five beautiful porticos and there are these two pools of water and all around this one pool are all these people. They're crowded in there. They're sick. They had diseases. They had injuries. It's, um, it's, it's not a pleasant sight. All these sick and disfigured people lying as close as they can get to the edge of the pool so that hopefully they can get into the water first and be healed. And all of these people who had these great needs, I mean, do you see how cruel this is? They're competing against each other. Um, you know, we, I don't want you to get healed because I got to get in first and I got to get healed. And so it turns into this competition and a me first kind of thing. And I imagine that every time a wind blew across that water, they all jump, were jumping into the water as quick as they could to find out it was a false alarm and then to have somebody help them out so they could get ready in case it happened again. And who do you think got in the water first? It wasn't the quadriplegic. It wasn't the woman who was in so much pain that she could barely concentrate on the water. It wasn't the people who needed it the most who got in first. It would be the people who were most able to get in first. So it wasn't, you know, the folks with, who were terminally ill or severely disabled. It was the folks with chapped lips and hangnails who got in first because they, they were more physically able to get in. So it's a faith that helped only a few and only the sufficient and it neglected those with the greatest needs. It made people think healing was a competition. It was something you had to earn or had to work for. And you had to work harder than everybody else around the pool. And we still struggle with this issue today. Is health for everybody or just the few and the sufficient? Magic waters, <laughs> and they believed in them. They believed in magic waters. I had a friend that said you could put four walls around that pool and put a roof over it and you would have some churches. 
Because he said, we're sometimes guilty of telling people if they just come and, you know, get dunked in or walk through the magic waters, everything's great. And that that's all you have to do. Instead of the truth that following Jesus, although it is a meaningful and joyous life, is sometimes difficult. And that it changes who we are and how we act. We're sometimes guilty of making faith a competition of pitting us against one another instead of helping each other. You know, Jesus always told the truth about what it meant to be a follower of God. He said that um, there would be joy, there would be peace, but there would be sacrifice and there would be endurance. Uh, Being a Christian is more than just a trip through the waters, but it's a relationship with God that changes who we are and how we interact with all those around us. So faith is, is for everyone. It's not just the few, you know, I'm, it may be bad news for some of my Calvinist friends to hear, but for the rest of us, that's good news. The faith is for everybody, not just the few and not just the, the sufficient. And faith is not a competition and faith is not magic. Faith is not magic. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it burns me that, that there are people today who still get confused about the difference between faith and magic. I, I've actually heard some preachers tell people that if you will pray at the end of your prayer, if you say, in Jesus' name, then God has to give you whatever you prayed for. And it turns that phrase, in Jesus' name, into like a magic formula. You know, like abracadabra. If you say these words, God has to go and do whatever you ask and give you what you want. That's not faith. That's magic. I know a woman at home, true story. Her child was injured very badly. And they were rushing the child to the hospital. And she brought her Bible. And she took her Bible out. And she read it all the way in the ambulance to the hospital. Now, she didn't read the Bible for comfort. That would have been a good thing. She read the Bible because she thought if she read the Bible over her child, it, it would heal, you know, somehow that would save them. That, that's not faith. That's magic. I know another guy who, he carries one of those little Gideon New Testament Bibles in his pocket everywhere he goes. Now that would normally be a good thing if you actually took it out and read it. He never reads it. He just carries it in his pocket like a rabbit's foot. <laughs> You know, he thinks if he's got that Bible in his pocket, it won't, he won't get hurt. Um, that's not faith. That's magic. And, and of course, there are dozens of trinkets and things that television evangelists will send you for a love offering, of course, that is sure to heal whatever ails you or make you prosperous or straighten buck, buck teeth or whatever they do. They'll do whatever you want. And none of that is faith. That's magic. And when we look at that and we say, well, you know, we're, we're smarter than that. We know better than that. We know the difference between faith and magic. But sometimes we pray for our friends that they would know that God loves them. But then we don't ever tell them. And we think somehow that's just going to magically, they're going to magically know because we prayed. But it takes not only praying, it takes also being willing to be the one who speaks the words. 
And we pray, you know, every Sunday we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that's not going to just magically happen. We have to be the hands and the feet of that happening in order to see that become a reality. We have to be willing to not only pray, but be the tools that God uses for that kingdom to be a reality. Sometimes we pray for the poor. We pray that they'll have food. But we don't take seriously the economic and political systems that keep people poor. It's like the famous quote by the Catholic priest Dom Helder Camera, who said, When I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist. <laughs> but faith is a commitment to follow Jesus down an often hard road. And it's not a belief that somehow things are just going to magically work out. But it's faith that we can trust Jesus if we are faithful and obedient to him. And I want you to notice Jesus looked this man up. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was standing there. He was by the pool waiting to, to, for the water. Jesus looked him up, asked him if he wanted to be healed. Then he healed him. And then Jesus looked him up again later in the temple to talk to him again. Jesus is just always looking for this person. And then, of course, at the end, uh, he kind of threw Jesus under the bus. But, but after healing him, Jesus told him, you know, to pick up his mat and go home. Uh, and he did, but it was the Sabbath. <laughs> and uh, apparently carrying your mat constituted work, and so the religious leaders didn't like that. And so they asked him why he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And they, he told him, you know, this guy healed him and told him to do it. Wasn't my fault. This guy who healed me told me to do it. And uh, they said, well, who was it? He said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who it was. And uh, so they were angry because he had violated the Sabbath. Could you imagine to be, uh, to be sick for 38 years and then get healed on the wrong day? <laughs> And so, um, you know, the people in this story, I mean, the Pharisees were so focused on their legalism, they couldn't, they were so concerned that a rule had been broken that they couldn't rejoice with the man who got his health back. And here's a guy whom Jesus looked up and did all these things for, and then as soon as they start putting a little pressure on him, he turns Jesus in and throws him under the bus. And, you know, I read this story and I think, you know, we probably, we've all met people like the Pharisees. We've all met people like this guy. And unfortunately, we have all been like that at times. But the good news of the story is the good news of Jesus' relentless grace. And that's what this sign points to. About how Jesus wouldn't give up on this guy. He found him. He asked him if he wanted to be well. He healed him. He found him again. This is a story of what we good Wesleyans call provenient grace. God wouldn't leave him alone. He just kept pursuing him before he even knew he wanted to have a relationship with God. And, and so that's how God is with us. Jesus pursues us. He looks us up and he asks if he can make us whole. And he continues to come after us with his grace and with his love. 
And he guides us and he instructs us and he calls us into a closer relationship all so that he can make us whole. It's grace. It's grace. The small group that I'm in, uh, we have for several weeks now been, that's been our topic. We've been studying grace. And what a, what a truly incredible thing it is that God loves us so. And it really floors us when we begin to comprehend what it means that God loves us and pursues us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Paul said. While we were looking the other way, Jesus found us and asked if he could make us whole for no other reason than he loves us. Relentless grace that pursues us and makes us whole. And while we stare into the waters of all of our schemes, God is following us, pursuing us, looking out for us, not just for the sufficient, not just for the few, but for everyone. And he doesn't offer us some magic belief. There's no competition, just Grace, grace that can change us and make us whole. And by the way, the name of that place, Bethesda, it means house of mercy or house of grace. And wherever we meet Jesus in our life becomes Bethesda. It becomes a place of mercy. It becomes a place of grace. It becomes a place where God makes us whole. So I want you to know today, while you're here and as you leave here, God is pursuing you. Do you want to be made whole?